There are times in life when it seems that all hope is lost, when defeat looks certain and failure looks inevitable, when we face such overwhelming odds, when we find ourselves burdened and besieged by troubles. Is there anything we can do? Is there hope for the hopeless? And the answer is yes, there is. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, but what seems impossible to you is never impossible to God. Can you say amen to that? The God we serve can turn any situation around for good, and he can deliver you from anything that's binding you. Even if you have been disappointed many times in the past and your prayers have seemingly not been answered, I want to tell you today, don't lose heart. It's not too late. He will make a way for you. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did it before, and friend, he will do it again. Now notice with me this scripture in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Now Hezekiah had a terminal illness, and he was on the verge of death. And evidently, everyone knew it. They knew that the end was near. Whatever medical treatment the king had received was not improving his condition. It wasn't working. And not only that, but we read that then Isaiah entered the room and issued a solemn proclamation. The Lord says, you're going to die. You will not live. I mean, to be in such a desperate condition was bad enough. But then to hear this divine verdict, and not just from any prophet, you know, maybe if it was just like, you know, Obadiah or something, you might, you know, get a second opinion, but from Isaiah himself. If ever there was a prophet, here it is. Isaiah himself says, sorry, you're going to die. It looked like a seemingly hopeless situation. But that's not the end of the story. Notice with me verse 2 and 3. Are you here today? Verse 2 and 3 says this, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
You know, Hezekiah could have resigned himself to his fate. He could have laid back down, closed his eyes, and waited for death to take him. But he prayed. Even after all of this, he prayed. It's interesting, if you think about it, there is no mention of Hezekiah praying. I mean, in this particular story, in this chapter, there's no mention of Hezekiah praying until this moment. Now, in the previous chapter, that would be 2 Kings chapter 19, we read how the Assyrians, this, this enemy country, the Assyrians invaded Judah, Judea, and they surrounded Jerusalem, intending to overrun it. And Hezekiah the king called for Isaiah again, who prophesied a word of strength and encouragement. And the Bible says, and then Hezekiah prayed, and the Lord heard him. And the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord came into the camp of the Assyrians and struck them down. And when they woke up the next morning, 185,000 of them were dead. And that alien army retreated. And it was a great victory for the people of Israel, great victory for Hezekiah. But the question in my mind is, why did he wait until the enemy was at the gate to pray? Likewise, why did he wait until he was on the verge of death to pray. You see, much is lost because we are not prompt to pray. Don't wait until you have a full-blown disaster on your hands to pray. The Bible tells us over and over again, for example, Jesus told his disciples to, in, the book, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them to watch and pray, be watchful, be alert. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, but notice this, being watchful in it. So that means you need to be vigilant. You need to be proactive. At the first indication that something's not right, you need to take your place in prayer. Are you out there today? Some people are quick to ask everyone else to pray for them, but they're mighty slow for them to pray themselves. Now, that's not how it works, friends. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So don't make prayer your last resort. You know, you hear some people say, well, when all else fails, then pray. No, friend, go to God first, not last. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then again, many Christians, and of course, they're probably not here this morning, but uh, many Christians don't even pray at all. They don't even bother to pray. It's amazing how many people, when you talk to them, you know, they talk about their desires, their dreams, their hopes, or even the difficulties they're going through and their needs, and they haven't even asked God about it at all. They haven't even prayed at all. I guess many people assume that if it happens, it must be God's will. They just think whatever comes your way, it must be from the Lord. If you think that way, the devil is going to hold you a hostage for the rest of your life. He's going to dance on your head and hold you in, in a terrible dire straits because not everything that comes your way is from God. 
You have to have enough sense and discernment to realize that God's not trying to kill you. Amen, he wants to bless you. What father here is trying to make his children sick? God's not trying to make you sick. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the scripture constantly urges us to pray. If anything that happens to you is God's will, why pray at all? We'll just join Paul McCartney and say, let it be, let it be. No, 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 we're not going to let it be. <laughs> Amen. Notice this scripture. Here's an example, just one example. There's many. John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. This inspires me. It challenges me. John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever. Somebody say whatever. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he might give it to you. You never can tell. Maybe, maybe not. No, 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 no. He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Think about it. The Son of God is talking to you. He's saying, ask, ask. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I think the Passion Translation says you'll have unlimited joy. So now we know why you have limited joy. Because you don't have the courage to ask. Amen. Now many Christians read scriptures like this and they are tempted to say, if they don't say it out loud, they think it to themselves, well, I asked, I didn't get anything. It's not enough to simply say the words in Jesus' name. It's not like abracadabra, hocus pocus, alakazam. That's not, it's not, that's not what is meant here. You need to understand what that expression means, you see. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are taking Jesus' place in the earth to accomplish his will. We are praying as his representative. We are saying what he would say if he was here in the flesh. We are not speaking our own words, but the words he gave us to speak. So our prayer is based on the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. So you can't just say, you know, Father, Send my mother-in-law to Africa in Jesus' name. No, you, you can't do that. That's just, that's just your flesh. That's not, that's not praying, representing Jesus, you see. That's just representing your, your own temper. So when we pray in Jesus' name, as far as the Father is concerned, it is just as if Jesus was praying. Because we're taking his place. Think about it. When we pray in Jesus' name, I see my wife doesn't like that mother-in-law comment. I was just talking about your mother-in-law, not mine. When we pray in Jesus' name, it is just as if, as far as the Father is concerned, it's just as if Jesus himself was praying. And in John eleven forty two, 42, Jesus said to the Father, I know that you always hear me. So you need to know that the Father will always hear you when you pray as his official representative, doing his will, acting 
on his behalf. Woo! Praise the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 20, again, verse 2, notice this. It says he prayed, but it says this. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? He didn't pray to the wall. <laughs> he didn't have a little picture of Jesus on the wall or a cross on the wall. He turned his face to the wall, but he prayed to God. See, he turned his back on every distraction. If you want the Lord to hear you, give him your undivided attention. Have you ever had lunch with somebody or, or, or maybe you were meeting somebody and in the middle of their conversation, they're playing with their cell phone, you know, they got a call. And you're sitting there like, what am I doing here, you know? And, you know, or, or they're like, you know, seeing how many likes they got, you know, on their posting or like that. That's, that's rude. Most people that I know of are imprisoned by their mobile phone. That's why it's called a cell phone. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I, I mean, I think all of us, to some extent, we're like saying, oh, Lord, I just ask that you bless. Oh, look at that. <laughs> And is that a new dress? And I just pray that you would heal me. And what did he write about me? You need to turn your face to the wall. In ancient times, in ancient times, kings like Hezekiah were seldom alone. They were typically surrounded by courtiers and other, you know, officials, government officials. They're very rarely were they alone. So in a sense, in one sense, by turning his face to the wall, what Hezekiah was doing, he was entering into his prayer closet and shutting the door. It's, it's, it's fine to pray with others, and there are times when we should do that, but most of your praying should be you and God alone. There are a lot of things God will not say to you in a crowd. There's a lot of things you should not say to God in a crowd. You're, in a bunch, you're with a bunch of people and you start praying, oh Lord, just help my husband, he's so stingy, he beats me at night. And, and all the other people are like, right, some things you don't wanna, I remember years ago, uh, uh, my wife has a little room next to our bedroom where she prays typically, and in the morning, I woke up, and, and I was walking by that room, and I heard her inside praying. So I thought I'd stop and just listen to hear what she's saying. And she said, Lord, help my husband not to have a hard heart. I don't know if God answered that prayer or not, but I, it really bothered me. Anyways, praise the Lord. But, but you don't have to climb Mount Saramati to pray. You, you don't have to go into the thick of the jungle and find some place, climb a tree to pray. You can just turn your face to the wall. You know what I'm saying? You can just find some place or maybe just, just kind of mentally block everything else out. Hallelujah. 
What do you mean block everything else out? Well, kind of like you do when Pastor Jeppy gives the announcements. <laughs> you know, we can announce, there will be a service tonight at 5.30, and then about three o'clock in the afternoon, is there a service tonight at 5.30? We just announced it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, many Christians are only saying prayers. They're not really praying. They're just saying prayers. They recite words that sound impressive but have no real meaning on the person who's praying. We say things, we don't even know what they mean. We think, throw in the word sanctification. That's a, that's, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. And throw in a few glories and, 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 uh, and righteousness and, you know, and, and everything, you know, and, and all that justification. And, but we have no idea what we're, what we're even talking about. And then again, you, you've heard me say this many times, but, but you don't have to pray in King James. <laughs> Nobody in Nogland speaks King James. I haven't met anybody that does. So it's time to pray. Brother Zamazama, would you pray? And suddenly you say, Thou, O Lordst, if thou wouldest, comest hitherest, and rendest the heavens, and then we shall come thither to thine. And even God doesn't know what you're talking about. The, the devil doesn't know what you're talking about. Nobody knows what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Hezekiah was simply speaking from the heart. Effective prayers are not formulaic. And now we, we, you know, we think of a lot of uh, denominational people who pray based on some kind of formula they've learned. First you cross yourself, and you bow three times, you know, and then you say this, and then you take a step back. And, you know, and then we got some kind of a... I don't know. You know, some kind of a, a pattern that that's how you pray. You have to stand here, sit here, kneel here. You have to say this, then they say that. And so, we, you know, that's what we, we, we criticize a lot of denominations, but a lot of word of faith people are no better. Got to say this, okay, then we got to quote this Bible verse and quote that Bible verse, and we got to say this cliche and that cliche. But that's, that's not really effective prayers. Effective prayers are authentic and unvarnished. Don't try to impress God with your prayer. That the angels say, ooh, wow, that, that was such a beautiful prayer. That's not the point, right? Amen? And Hezekiah's prayer was not only genuine and sincere, if you'll notice, it was also brief. It's just like, you know, one, one verse there. People who don't know God very well, they think the longer the prayer is, the better. Have you ever had people say, oh, brother, would you pray with me? Sister, would you pray with me? I have this need, okay? And so you say, Lord, I ask you to meet that need in Jesus' name, amen. And they look at you like they've been cheated. <laughs> That's it? No, no, it took longer for me to get in the auto than that, than that prayer. Come on. Do it again. But Jesus told us, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 7, that when we pray, we should not heap up empty phrases. We will not be heard for the abundance of our words. Don't see how long you can make your prayer. 
It's not a marathon. I'm going to keep praying until everybody else passes out. No, just make your prayer as brief as possible. Amen? Sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while, people want to meet me in my office, maybe from the community or the church, and then they want to make small talk. You know, Brother Zamazama wants to meet you at 9 a.m., 9.30. Okay, here he is. And he starts talking about the weather. It's rained a lot here lately. And then they talk about just, you know, other things. You know, that's a nice a gel pen. Did you get that in America? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm smiling, but inside I'm thinking, get to the point. Get to the point. I know you didn't come here to talk about the weather. Get to the point. I think God thinks that all the time. He's thinking, get to the point. You might as well be honest with God. He knows what you're thinking anyways. You can never con God. Don't pretend that you're something you're not. Just be straightforward and direct. Amen? Hallelujah? Let me read to you another scripture. James chapter 5, verse 16. The last part of that verse says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What kind of person? A righteous person. Now, let me say this to you. On the one hand, we are righteous in Christ. We have right standing with the Father through faith in the blood of Jesus. But on the other hand, we must live righteously. And if even though you are righteous through the faith and the blood, through the gospel, if you're not living right, it will negate the effects of your prayer. You think, oh, I don't think that's true. When was the last time you had a prayer answered? (laughs) Sin will definitely block your prayers. Hmm? Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Hmm. No amens on that one. Okay. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, this might be the answer to your question, why hasn't God answered my prayer? Well, maybe this is the answer. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear dull, that it cannot hear. Then what's the problem? Verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, see, you're not living under the Old Testament, and you have right standing with the Father But sin will mess you up. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship. But if we walk in darkness and we say we have fellowship, you're lying like a dog. That's my translation. (laughs) Don't ignore sin in your life. Deal with it. Confess it and turn away from it. Amen? And some people say amen to that vigorously, but here's another little point. Don't allow unforgiveness to fester in your heart. Oh, what happened to my amens? (laughs) Amen? Don't allow unforgiveness to remain in your heart. 
at some point in this Bible school, you are going to have a wonderful opportunity to forgive someone. Maybe it's happening now, this morning, I'm not sure. But you're gonna have an opportunity. You have a choice. You can let it go, or you can keep it, retain it. Come on, there's some people, you know, that, that they, they could be wonderful spiritual giants, except something happened five, seven years ago, and they've never, they, they can't let go of it. I came to the church picnic. I brought my potato salad. Nobody touched my potato salad. I went home with a full bowl. You're going you're gonna to be sick because of that. You're going you're to not, not have your prayer answered because of that. You're, you're going to forsake your miracle because of potato salad. You know, you're not as bright as you look. Come on, forgive. If you want to be forgiven, you must be forgiving. Hallelujah. Maybe it's a good idea for just every day wake up and say, I don't hold anything against anybody. I don't have anything in my heart against anybody. That would help us all. There's that person I know. And when you see him in the foyer after we dismiss, you'll be tempted to go. And you remind yourself, no, I don't hold anything against anybody. It's getting quieter and quieter. I don't even think it's Presbyterian anymore. I think we're Lutheran or something like that. <laughs> Let me read this uh, verse again. James 5, 16 in the New King James Version says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or can do much. The effective, fervent prayer. So years ago, I, I was thinking about this and I asked the Lord, I said to him, what is an effectual, fervent prayer? And I heard inside me like a still small voice say, a believing prayer. So that means, and I'll, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll prove that in just a second, but that means some people are real fervent, they're fervent in unbelief. Uh, oh God, move God, oh God, just touch her God, oh, just miracle, miracle God, oh, we just pray right now, pray right now. They're, they're loud and demonstrative, but they're just loud in unbelief. Come on. You know, many times in my colony where I live, it's happened where I hear something, like, like you know, a few houses down. It sounds like an argument. It sounds like the villagers have, have cornered a tiger and are attempting <laughs> to kill him. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there, you know, there's some shooting. There's a, the undergrounds have come and there's something is going on here. The army is here, whatever. And then I hear a few aloches and I go, oh, okay. <laughs> That means praise the Lord in my wife's language. <laughs> Hallelujah. A believing prayer. Now notice, I, I quoted to you, I read to you James 5, verse 16. But If you go back to verse 14, James 5, verse 14, just a couple of verses earlier, James says to us, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. Elders doesn't just mean an old guy. It doesn't mean like, let me find the oldest guy here this morning. It doesn't mean that. It means someone who's really pastoral or leadership position. Let him call for the elders. Let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's the end of my message. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So he says, let him call for the elders or the leaders of the church and let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. But that's not all he says. Notice the next verse says, 
verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save or literally heal the sick. The prayer of what? The prayer of faith will heal the sick, right? Then in verse 16, he says, you know, pray one for another that you may be healed. The very next verse. So here's my point. Why would he tell us in verse 15, you have to pray this way, a believing prayer, prayer of faith will heal the sick. And then in the next verse, but when it comes to praying for others, just any kind of prayer will do. No, it's the same thing. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. Are you listening to me? In verse 16, the New Century Version says this, when a believing person prays, great things happen. When a believing person prays. I think that, that implies he not only is a believing person, but his prayer is full of belief as well. Just because you don't feel anything or see anything, that doesn't mean God hasn't heard your prayer. Sometimes we pray and then we look for some indication. Do I feel like a cold flash, hot flash? Do I have any goose pimples on my hand? You know, is the hair standing up on the back of my neck? You know, uh, or, or they check, they immediately check their, their, their symptoms. If they're sick or something, they check, like, do I still have, you know, gastritis? You know, you know do I, is my neck still cracking when I turn? They immediately check themselves. And if, and if they have the symptoms, they go, oh, God, why won't you hear my prayer? but we walk by faith and not by sight. That's not a believing prayer. You must believe that God hears you when you pray because you are praying according to the word of God and in the name of Jesus. Amen? Now notice 2 Kings, back to our story, chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. 2 Kings 20, verse 4 to 6. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court... The word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. Notice, notice, Hezekiah prayed, but it doesn't say, and then Hezekiah felt waves of glory coming over him. Or all the symptoms left, and suddenly a surge of healing power came through him. He just prayed, and that's all, that's all it says. And Isaiah is walking out, going home, and God stops him and says, I heard his prayer. Now, on the surface... This seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, Isaiah, speaking by the Spirit of God, prophesied, you will die and not live. And he turns around, and he hasn't even left the building yet. He's still in the foyer. He hasn't even caught an auto yet. He's still waiting for the auto to come and pick him up. And God says, go back and tell him, I will heal you. I will add 15 years to your life. Well, did God change his mind? Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord and I do not change? God did not make Hezekiah sick. 
and Isaiah told Hezekiah what would happen under the current circumstances. When Hezekiah prayed, that changed the circumstances. Remember I said, why did he wait till he was dying to pray? That changed the circumstances. So God responded and it changed the outcome. Ooh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because he prayed. That's the point. And he prayed effectively. He, really, he didn't just say a prayer, recite some pretty words. From his heart, he was speaking directly to God. Hallelujah. I remember this story that Brother Hagen told. I've heard him say it more than once, but when he was a um, younger man traveling to different churches and holding meetings, his wife, her name was Aretha, his wife developed a, a goiter, like a, a large growth on her neck. And evidently that, that growth was entangling her esophagus, you know, what have you, and, and she couldn't breathe properly. She's having trouble breathing. It was choking her to death. And she freely admitted that all of the time she had been married to him, she really didn't do anything to develop her own faith. She just relied on her husband. You know, and people do that. You know, they think, well, you know, some men do that. Well, my wife is the prayer warrior in my family. What about you, big boy? <laughs> you, you can't just, you, every believer, every child of God has to stand on his own two legs, you know, spiritually speaking, stand on the promise of God and believe God and have his own prayer life. You can't just, you, you know, you, you, you can't just rely on someone else's salvation to go to heaven. You can't ride your mother's mikula into heaven. You've got you've to believe the gospel yourself. Right? Well, so, she, so her condition grew worse. And Brother Hagin said this. He said, somehow in my heart, I knew. I just had, I had a knowing. I can't explain it, but I, I knew that if she has an operation, she'll die. She'll die right there in the operating theater. But he was afraid to say anything to her about it. And he said that in the nighttime, while everyone else was asleep and the house was quiet, he prayed. And in essence, he did like Hezekiah. He turned his face to the wall, got away from the distractions of everything, the hustle and bustle of our ordinary affairs. And he argued his case before the Lord. You know, in Isaiah 41, verse 21, I don't know if you've ever read this verse, but it says, present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments. So, so he reminded, Brother Hagin said, he reminded the Lord that you've promised us long life. And she's like, you know, I think in her 30s, well, that's, that's not long life. I don't, I don't think anyone would consider that a long life. And plus that, he said that, that, you know, you've provided healing for us. Besides that, that he said, uh, I need her. Not only for our, our children are small, they need a mother. And I need her in the ministry. She's essential to the ministry that you've called me to, Lord. He said sometime later he was holding a meeting in a church and I don't remember all the details but he, everybody was praying or worshiping God and he said suddenly on the platform as he was standing there he said I had a vision of Jesus. I saw the Lord Jesus standing there on the platform. He said I saw him just as clearly as I see any person that I've ever seen before. No one else saw anything. And the Lord looked at him and said tell your wife 
to have the operation. Now see, she could have been healed without the operation, but her faith wasn't strong enough to receive that, you see. Sometimes you try to push people, and they just don't have the faith to receive that, well, but they, they could believe for something less, you see. Tell your wife to have the operation. And then he said this, and this is very interesting, just a thought. The Lord, this is what Brother Hagin said. He said, the Lord told him it was divine destiny that she die in the middle of that operation. But I'm going to change that just because you asked me. Now, Brother Hagin said, I don't know what he meant. He didn't explain it. What do you mean by divine destiny? He said, I, I, don't, I didn't know what he meant by that, and he didn't explain it, and I didn't ask him. He just said it was divine destiny that she die on that operating table. And Brother Hagin later told his wife about the experience, and she said, I knew all along that I wouldn't live. I knew in my heart that if I had the surgery, I would die. I knew that. She said, don't you remember sometimes when I couldn't breathe, you know, and she didn't seem coherent even. She said she was telling him, take care of the children and look after the children because she, she said, when we got married, I knew that I wasn't going to live my full life. But he said, but I'm going to change that because you asked me. Woo. Then he, he said one other thing, and Brother Hagin said, it just changed my life forever. He said he looked at me and he said, I long to do so much for my children if only they would ask me. So that means even if somebody like Isaiah says, the Lord says you're going to die, it's still not too late for you. Even if it's divine destiny, that still can be changed. Hallelujah. Think about that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. One more, a couple of more points here. I got to wrap this up now. Notice something else. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 3, not only did Hezekiah pray, it says he wept bitterly. And the Lord said in verse 5 to Isaiah, tell him, I've seen your tears. I heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. Let me help you. Crying alone does not make your prayers effective. Being emotionally distraught does not move the hand of God. And some people just get emotional to be emotional. Some people think that when you pray, you have to cry. When me and Pastor Jeppy were first married, she came from Nogland to America. Yes, oh yes. And, and every time she prayed, she cried. And, you know, we didn't really know each other hardly well at all. You know, here we're engaged and we got you know, married real quickly. And then, you know... We would pray together, and it was always tearful. Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, it would just break your heart. You know, you thought, what happened? What have I done? What's wrong? You know. You know. But then I, over a period of time, I began to notice that she always prayed that way. Like, let's pray over our lunch before we eat it. Okay. Jesus. She's, she's crying over her potato salad. I mean, you know. Because she had been trained that that's how you pray. I think she'd been taught that that's what you do when you pray. So that, that's, that's not true. You don't, if, if tears alone made your prayers powerful, then the ushers would hand out onions as you walked in the door. 
or eye drops, you know. But, th- but that's, that's, that alone is not the thing. It was the attitude of Hezekiah's heart that God saw. That, that is important. So it's better to have feelings without words than words without feeling. Amen? Again, this is where a lot of word of faith people miss it. They quote all the scripture, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They make all the confessions, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But there's this, it's not heartfelt. They're praying that way because they've been taught. They're praying that way because they're just imitating what somebody else told them to do. But what, what are you saying to God? Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that Isaiah put a cake of figs on the boil. It could have been a boil. Maybe it was like a tumor or something, but it must have been a serious thing. Fruit does not heal us. You know, just somebody give me an apple and put my... No, no, that's not that. Fruit doesn't heal us. This was an act of faith. And Hezekiah was not instantly healed. He didn't spring up from the bed that moment and shout hallelujah. Isaiah said to him, on the third day, the Lord told Isaiah to say, on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And that means he recovered, but it did take some time. But it was still supernatural. So even if we pray and you don't right away just have every symptom leave, that doesn't mean God didn't hear you. And that doesn't mean you don't have the answer. You have to also be steadfast and patient. Amen? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. If you go on reading the story, Hezekiah asked Isaiah for a sign, some indication, supernatural sign, to, to prove to me that God really has heard my prayer. Well, obviously, if all the symptoms had left, he wouldn't ask for that. But you and I don't need to ask God for a sign. That's a mistake. See, you have something Hezekiah did not have. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. So you don't need to say, like, Lord, if you've heard my prayer, you know, have three red bicycles go by my front window today. Have a blue jay sing Amazing Grace on the, on, on the branch outside my window. You don't need to do things like that. You, you, you know, you'll get off into trouble. Just stand on the word of God and know that you've heard, that he's heard your prayer. Amen? Hallelujah. We're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We-